You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. this morning to learn some things and maybe some new things in your life, things that you are not aware of in terms of your faith. Uh, And also there may be some things that you remember and that you relearn. We're talking today about two baptisms, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of water to cover. I know you're up for it. Let's go. Two different baptisms that are happening that occur in the church and in life. Now, the first baptism is, is water baptism. Many of us have heard about water baptism, or we've witnessed it. Many of us have received water baptism. And there is also the baptism of the Spirit, represented by a dove. In water baptism, humans are baptizers. When someone is baptized, usually a pastor is asked to baptize someone. But when it comes to the baptism of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, only Jesus can baptize someone with the Spirit. Water is the form of water baptism. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can touch it. You can get all wet. I love the idea that there's manifestations of the Spirit. And in the gospel that we're going to read a little bit later The manifestation of the Spirit is in the form of the dove that comes and just rests on Jesus. Something is just as physical and visible and tangible. In water baptism, it's it's about the repentance of sins. It's about a certain way of life and living. In the baptism of the Spirit, it's, it's an infusion within us, inside of us. And both baptisms have to do with cleansing, getting clean and pure. Uh, water baptism is often associated with this idea of, of maybe uh, like a rinse job. You, you rinse off your dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. <laughs> but the baptism of the Spirit, when it comes to cleansing and really being clean as a person, it's like God gets his scrub brush out. And then we're put into the dishwasher where we're fully immersed and purified and clean. So, you know, I've heard a lot of different sermons and talks, and I've given a lot of talks on, on water baptism. On the baptism of the Spirit, Not so much, although I've given some. It's great that we can talk about these two types of baptism together because that's what Luke does. That's what the Gospel of Luke does in the third chapter as he talks about the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. 
So first, let's read about water baptism, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 3. So then John, and do you know who John is? You know, John is sometimes called John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. He's Jesus' cousin. He's six months older than Jesus. He's Zechariah and Elizabeth's boy, if you remember the story. And he was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. So that's who John is. So then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins, and turn to God to be forgiven. Water baptism. And when the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, you brood of snakes. Actually, the NLT kind of softens the language. It probably is more like, you vipers, you poisonous snakes. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we're the descendants of Abraham, or we're the, defendant, or we're the descendants of John Wesley, or we're Methodists. You just go ahead and translate Abraham any way you want to. That means nothing. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Well, John just doesn't pull any punches, does he? How would you like it if you came to be baptized and you came to me or you asked another pastor in the church and you said, I would like to be baptized in the faith and we call you a snake? You brood of vipers, really? You know, I've never called a person a snake in my life, at least not in church. But what we do when someone comes to be baptized is we ask them questions. Or we ask the parents of those who are wanting to have their children baptized in the faith, we ask these historic questions. And I love these questions because they come back from the earliest centuries of Christianity. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? Reject the evil powers of this world and repent of your sins. Think about the three R's. Do you renounce the wickedness of this world that's all around us? Do you reject the power of evil that comes on your life? And do you repent? Do you choose that, you know, I'm going to live this new life. I have a change of mind. I have a change of heart. Those are powerful words. Second question we ask is, and I love this, do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you? 
So, you know, we can't do this on our own strength. But it, it's a question of hope, isn't it? Do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist this evil? Injustice and oppression and whatever forms they present themselves. And the final question, do you accept, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? Put your whole trust in His grace and promise to serve Him as your Lord. You know, that, that question's a great question too, isn't it? Because it talks about relying on God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's ability for me to live this life. But it is a promise that, that I'm making. So have you been baptized? You know, when people came to John, he didn't ask the questions. He just told them what's for, and then they asked him, well, what do we do? And did you notice again what, what he said? He said to the crowd, if you have two shirts, it's not complicated. You got two things and someone else needs one, give it to them. You got food that the poor need, share it. If you're a tax collector, these tax collectors were known to be corrupt, quit pocketing money on the side. Collect only what's really due. If you're a soldier, he says, don't, don't extort. Don't, don't make false accusations. Wouldn't you love to be in a world where people just stop making false accusations about other people? Be content with your pay. Now, these questions, leave them up there for a moment. These answers, there, there's nothing really about what you believe. And yet, they're everything about what we believe. Because belief is translated into behavior. And so to be a Christian, I know that's a word that's been muddied and vilified, and sometimes, man, Christians deserve it. But Christian simply means little Christ. To be a Christian is to live a certain lifestyle, to live a certain way, to have a certain behavior and attitude and action. It is about justice. It is about compassion. It is about fairness. It's a life that is distinctive from other ways in which people live. And in the early church and the early Christian movement, people became Christians because they saw this. They saw this fruit in other people's lives. Man, I want to be able to bear that fruit. That's what it means to be baptized. That's what it means to repent. That's what it means to be forgiven. That's what it means to live this new life of God. You ever wonder why Jesus was baptized then? He didn't have anything to repent of. But he did renounce the wicked forces of this world. And when Jesus steps into the water of the Jordan River, you know, he is identifying with us. Don't you just love this about Jesus? Jesus isn't ashamed of us. We mess up. Jesus steps in the water of, of the Jordan River. He identifies with us. He takes on our sin and our shame in the water as well as on the cross. And in all his ministry and his life, Jesus came and submitted to be baptized by water. Doesn't that make you 
want to follow him. Well, let's read about that second baptism then, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as Jesus is baptized. So we continue reading from the Gospel of Luke. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater then I am not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat. Well, I, I need to jump on to verse 21. One day, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. Now, when Jesus is baptized, obviously it's a unique moment because he is the Lord, the Savior, the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so the heavens opened when he's baptized, and the Father's voice pronounces his praise and his love over Jesus, and the Holy Spirit comes and descends on him like a dove. It's a part of the witness of heaven that this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. It's a fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah who said that the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. If we could just leave those descriptions on there. So the Holy Spirit comes and rests on Jesus. And even though he's the Messiah, even though he is the Savior of the world, even though he is the, the Son of God, the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus, remains on Jesus, is upon Jesus. And Jesus is reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit for his ministry and his life. He doesn't do anything apart from the power of the Spirit. And if Jesus needs the baptism of the Spirit, that dove to rest on him and remain with him, how much more do you and I need the baptism of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit to come and be on us. And the good news is, the good news of the Scripture is that John says, Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Strange language, I understand. Some people say that to be baptized with the Spirit, there's certain signs, like people might speak in tongues, and certainly some people might speak in tongues, but some people might not speak in tongues. And there's oftentimes signs and wonders. There's a power. There's a strength. And, and I certainly believe that if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be, in the course of that life, a power, an evidence, maybe miracles, maybe healings, but there's going to be something that occurs in a person's life and in a people's life that just otherwise cannot happen from human strength alone. But I think the greatest indicators of the Holy Spirit are well 
succinctly spoken by Paul when he writes to Timothy as he writes these words, for God has not given us a spirit of fear or of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. So let's just talk about these for a little bit. Let's talk about those four characteristics. R.T. Kendall, I think, says it right, that he says that these are the real good indicators that someone really is immersed with the Spirit. Someone has the Spirit in their life, and they're living out of the Spirit. A sense of fearlessness. No fear, phobia, is part of the human condition. We're not saying that just because you're filled with the Spirit that you don't have fear that comes on you or is a part of your, of your life. The two greatest fears are the fear of death and the fear of public speaking. And every week I'm afraid I'm going to die up here. There's a fear that you really have to overcome. I have a fear of flying, but it doesn't keep me from flying in an airplane. What is the fear that, that comes on you that, that you're afraid of? What, what's the fear that you have right now in your heart? What does it mean to lean into God and let the Holy Spirit have that fear and drive out that fear? This past week, we've had three people that have died. And... Uh, Two great saints of the church that had lived fully and richly in their life. And we had to say goodbye to Matt Henry. Um, 50-year-old man. Good man. Father, husband, friend. I was there the night before he passed in the morning. And, man, it's hard. You get these moments where it's just, it's beyond human ability or capacity. But I noticed as I was there in the room with him and family, there was a sign on his wall overlooking his bed. And I can't quote the words exactly, but they said, let your faith be big enough to drive out your fear. And those were the words I needed in that moment. And I just, I saw those words and inwardly I just prayed, Lord, I just lean into you right now. Holy Spirit, come into this place. And I think that's what it means to be living in the power of the Holy Spirit. That in, in life, in, in everyday nitty-gritty things, in the hardest places of life, we just simply have to continue to immerse ourselves in the Spirit's presence. Many of us are afraid of people. People pleasing just takes over us. If I was speaking today and I was worried about everything that every one of you are thinking about me right now, I would just go nuts. And yet so many of us live that way. We just continuously live in the fear of what other people are thinking. But when the power of the Spirit is in our life, we remind ourselves that we're serving the audience of one. And I don't have to please everybody else. Because I live in a spirit that is given to me that overcomes fearlessness. And power, there's a power that's given to us. 
And the best way I can illustrate this is really in the cars and the vehicles that I've been driving. Uh, for years, I drove my 2006 Honda. It was a good old car. Uh, the last year I had it, the power steering went out. Uh, my wife told me you might check the fluid, and I said, no, it's just an old car. Uh, when I went to sell it, I did check the fluid. It was low. I hate it when she's right. Um, and so... Then I got this Subaru out back. And then you talk about power steering. You press a button, and as you're driving along, you just you have this power that keeps you, propels you to stay within your lane. And I think about my life, and sometimes I'm driving my old Honda without power steering fluid. I have no power steering whatsoever. Some of us are old enough to remember when you didn't have power steering at all. I mean, that's the way it is to live this life. We live in our activities at our own strength, and we wear ourselves out. We cannot do this apart from the power of the Spirit. And then there's the power of the Spirit that's like my Honda when I've got the fluid in. I leak sometimes, and I have to have the Spirit. But then there is a power that can come upon us and be available to us that is something you feel and you sense as you steer and you drive in life. And I am not suggesting to you that you can just press a button and automatically God is going to give you any power you want. But I am saying that the person who walks with God and walks in the fullness of the Spirit and wants the Holy Spirit to be fully present and active and alive in their life will oftentimes feel and experience a strength and a capacity that they otherwise could not know and they know does not come from them. That third sign is the greatest sign of all. It's love. Love is the greatest measurement of the Holy Spirit. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit. Anyone that has the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter how many miracles you, you perform or what kind of faith you have, if you don't have love, you don't have God. Because God is love. To be immersed in God, to be baptized in the Spirit, is to be full of the love of God. Friday night, I made the mistake of going to bed and telling Susan, well, you know, we don't have to worry about the furnace because it's a new furnace this year, and uh, it's going to get colder tonight, so it'll be fine. I woke up the next morning. It was only 59 degrees in her house, and so something was wrong with the furnace. We called the company. We had the technician come out. She looked at it in five minutes. She fixed it, and the only problem was, she said, was a faulty limited switch, a faulty limited switch switch. The furnace was blowing, the furnace was running, but the heat, the power of the furnace was limited by a faulty switch. It's like in that moment, God said to me, in your life, in your spirit, you limit my love because you have a faulty switch. Whenever you choose not to love someone fully, then I'm not able to love you or anyone completely because I've got a faulty, limited switch. 
When I choose not to forgive one person completely, and I'm not saying this is easy, I'm just saying when I choose not to forgive someone completely, I have trouble living in the spirit of forgiveness toward everyone. That's a faulty, limited switch. And so to be full of the Spirit is to be full of love and to remove those limitations that we are putting over the work of love in our life. To be controlled by the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit is not to get to choose who we love or who we forgive. And then there's that final word that I think is such a wonderful description of the Spirit is, is self-control or self-discipline. Who of us does not need the power of self-discipline to be able to be a person that really is able to, to take control over our appetites and our habits and, and, and our attitudes and, and our disciplines? To, to, be able to, to be able to take control and have better discipline over what we eat and how much we eat and what we drink and how much we drink and the drugs that we may use. Uh, to watch over the abusiveness or the violence that, that happens in cultures and, and is present in, in too many homes. To have control over our sexual appetites and desires and to make sure those do not go outside the proper boundaries. But you know, I think the greatest thing, the hardest thing to control is the tongue. If you're able to control your tongue, your greater proverb says, and the person that can take a city by force. William Shakespeare in Othello, in Iago, the character Iago says these words as they appear on the screen. Who steals my purse, steals trash. Tis something, nothing. Twas mine, tis his, and has been slave to thousands. But he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. We live in a culture where this is rampant. And I think if perhaps the greatest indicator next to love is this, that when I am tempted to speak ill of another person, when I am saying things, when I am gossiping, that things that do not need to be said, I call on the power of the Spirit to stop my tongue. And if I'm in the presence of other people and that's going on, I, as a witness, say, could you please not do that? And I have the courage to walk out of the room if it continues. That is living in the power of the Spirit. Do you see how the Holy Spirit is so practical? That these indicators are not concepts, but fearlessness, love, power, and self-discipline comes into us as we are filled with the person and the presence of God the Holy Spirit. So there's two baptisms in our faith. The baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized by water is to claim the faith, this new life, to have an initial cleansing and a rinsing. To choose to renounce the ways in which this world is living and say, yes, Jesus, I want to be a follower of yours. 
And if you've been baptized, whether as a youth, adult, or a child, do you claim that faith today? And do you make that fresh new decision and choice? I'm a baptized child of God. I'm going to live like it. And there is the baptism of the Spirit. Certainly the baptism of the Spirit is available to everyone. But oftentimes it only comes to those who've struggled a bit, who've suffered a bit, who's been worn down, who knows that they just cannot go on without the strength and the power and the presence of the Spirit. Who knows that their love is too limited and knows that too many times they walk in fear and not in faith. Hear the good news. John the baptizer said, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. If you parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will the Holy Spirit be given? to those who ask. As our band comes forward and we go into a time of worship, I just want to have us to be quiet a moment and, and I'm going to just pray and, and ask you, if, have you been baptized? If not, would you like to be? You may ask a pastor. You, that can be arranged. And would you like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Simply ask Jesus. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your great love. We thank you that of the great witness of your love for this world and the coming of Jesus. We thank you for the witness of John the Baptist and his relentlessness in saying, ah, to follow Jesus, we just can't water it down. It's, it's, it means something. It's different. And so we want to renew and promise again to follow you. And God, I ask for a fresh immersion and anointing of your Holy Spirit on me and on all those who ask.